Volume Three, Chapter Four of *The Vicar of Rexhill*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. *The Vicar of Rexhill* by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume Three, Chapter Four. The Vicar's Prosperity. He sets about making some important reforms in the village. The departure of Charles, so immediate and so unrepining, seemed to the vicar a most satisfactory proof that the talent and firmness which he had himself displayed in their final interview had produced exactly the effect which he hoped and intended. He will, I think, trouble me no more. Such was the comfortable little mental soliloquy with which, as he sat in his noble library, the vicar of Rexhill listened to the wheels of the cab, lent to convey Mowbray to the nearest town through which the coach passed. This good work achieved, which was of that species permitted by the peculiar doctrine of his sect, Mr. Cartwright, of Cartwright Park, began to look around him among his neighbours and dependents, for opportunities of displaying both his sanctity and his magnificence. Everything seemed to prosper with him, and the satisfaction produced by this success was very greatly enhanced by the consciousness that he owed it all, from the humble courtesy of the village maidens, up to the crowning glory of his lady's love, and all the wealth it brought, wholly and solely to himself. Ungrateful would he have been for such unnumbered blessings, had he neglected to reward that self, by every kind observance, and by every thoughtful care which his active fancy, his fastidious taste, and his luxurious nature could suggest. But he did it all so doucely, that no voice was raised to censure the daily appetite of the high-fed priest. No lip was curled in scorn, as every week brought forth some new indulgence, some exquisite refinement of elaborate luxury. Everything seemed to prosper with him. The wines he ordered could hardly be accounted dear, even at the unheard-of prices he gave for them. The beautiful creature he bought for his own riding, with just action enough to show off his handsome figure, and not sufficient to occasion him the least fatigue, appeared to be so born and bred on purpose for his use, that every eye was fixed in admiration as he paced along, and no tongue wagged to tell that while young Mowbray departed from his father's house with ten pounds in his pocket, his stepfather's ambling hack cost two hundred. Everything seemed to prosper with him. Mrs. Simpson, instead of spoiling her fine eyes, and reducing by her secession his fair congregation of elected saints, which he had certainly good reason to fear, listened to his doctrine, now with the same yielding obedience that she did before, and so far was the tongue of slander from finding anything amiss in the frequent pastoral visits he continued to pay her, that her credit, particularly with her tradespeople, stood higher than ever, and her begging-boxes, and her tract-selling, and her albums flourished quite as well as when she believed that she and they would ere long be translated to the vicarage. Of Mrs. Richard's converted daughters, little Mary was the only one who ventured openly to declare that she thought the vicar had behaved extremely ill, that after what she saw pass between him and sister Louisa, it was a sin not to marry her, and that she did not think poor Mrs. Mowbray would ever be happy with a man who was so very much in love with another person. But it was only little Mary who said all this, and nobody paid much attention to it. The pious Louisa herself declared, indeed, that there never had been anything but the purest evangelical love between them, and that the kiss about which silly Mary made such a fuss was nothing in the world but a kiss of holy peace and brotherly love. The same eloquence which persuaded the young lady so to think, or at any rate so to say, persuaded her likewise, and her sister Charlotte with her, to persevere in their avocations. They continued to compose tracts, to get them printed and sold when they could, and to read them aloud and give them away in manuscript when they could not. They also continued most perseveringly to expound both tracts and scriptures for the edification of their very unhappy mother, who, having passed the last twenty years of her life in exerting every faculty to render them happy around her, 
could not now so change her plan as to give them that portion of her house for the display of their inspired eloquence which she herself did not occupy and thus she passed by far the greater portion of every day in listening to their ceaseless assurances that the pit of hell was yawning to receive her major dalrymple being present on one occasion when this was going on with peculiar fervour waited very patiently till there was a pause in the eloquence of miss charlotte who was holding forth and then said scotchly and quietly well well i see not but it is all very fair between you and your mother my bonny lasses she has been always forgetting herself for your sakes and you are now forgetting yourselves for hers it was not very long however after the marriage of the vicar that a welcome and much-needed ray of hope once more gleamed upon her it rose from the fair forehead of little mary from the time of her conversion all her very pretty curls had been straightened and pushed behind her ears and the little straw bonnet which covered them was the rival or rather the model of fanny mowbray's but by degrees a few of these curls began to reappear round her face her sad-coloured ribbons were exchanged for the bright tints that suited so well her clear brown skin her laughing eyes began to recover their brightness and at last she whispered in her mother's ear forgive me dearest mamma for all my folly my presumption forgive me dearest mother and pray god to forgive me too from that moment mrs richards felt restored to happiness she had too early learnt that at the best life is but like a changeable web of silk in which the dark tints predominate to poison the enjoyment which mary's return to reason brought her by remembering at any moment when it was possible to forget it that she had still two daughters who declared their persuasion that they could never meet her in the life to come she wisely and with true piety turned all her thoughts to mary soothed her remorse and reconciled her to herself in addition to this great joy she thought she saw the promise of another that for years had formed her favourite castle in the air she thought she saw that major dalrymple looked at the recovered mary with eyes expressive of love as well as of joy and the delightful occupation of watching mary sometimes blush and always smile when the major entered her life once more ceased to be a burden and rosalind again found that she sang the very sweetest second in the world as soon as the occupation of receiving and returning the wedding visits was pretty well over mr cartwright set about making some important alterations and reforms in the village of rexhill his attentive wife suggested to him that he would find the fatigues of a large landed proprietor who so actively inquired into everything as he did too much for his health and spirits if he continued vicar of rexhill but to this he answered heaven forbid my lovely clara that i should ever suffer my cares for my earthly possessions to interfere with those especially relating to my heavenly ones the cure of souls my love has ever been a favourite occupation with me it greatly assists in giving one that sort of influence over the minds of one's fellow-creatures which every wise and holy man would wish to possess but i have already secured the services of a very serious and exemplary curate my dear love who will relieve me from that part of the duty which as you justly fear might prove injurious to my health this arrangement will i trust answer all your wishes for the present sweet love and in future i intend that our son charles shall be my curate he will i have no doubt like the vicarage as a residence it is really very pretty and sufficiently near us to permit of easy and i should hope frequent intercourse but it must be a year or two before this can be put in practice and in the meantime i trust that we shall find mr samuel hetherington a pious and prayerful young man i am not without hopes that he will arrive at the vicarage to-night i forget dear if i mention to you anything about him i certainly as you observe am very much occupied however don't let me forget to say that if he comes to-night he must be invited to dine here to-morrow 
another of mr cartwright's new arrangements arose from a scene that passed between mr marsh the quiet peaceable painstaking village schoolmaster and himself this poor man who had a wife and some half-dozen children contrived to maintain them all by keeping school he had a good house and extensive playground which tempted many a tradesman in the county town and some even in london to send their sons to rexhill to improve at once their lungs and their learning he had also a considerable number of day-boarders from all the farmers round besides many of the most decent and well-born of the village children as day scholars to keep up this flourishing concern certainly took up every hour of mr marsh's waking existence and weary enough was he at night poor man when he laid his head on his pillow but no one had ever heard him complain his wife and children were comfortably clothed fed and lodged his parents were all well contented with the learning and the health of their children and all his neighbours esteemed and spoke well of him before mr cartwright had been many weeks at rexhill he took an opportunity of making a very kind and condescending call upon the worthy schoolmaster mr marsh happened at that moment to be superintending the afternoon writing lessons but he instantly obeyed the summons and received the vicar in his best parlour with every demonstration of reverence you have good premises here mr marsh said the newly installed clergyman of the parish really a very decent and respectable-looking domain how many boys have you sir twenty-seven boarders twelve day boarders and sixteen day scholars indeed that makes a considerable number of christian souls and what sir may be the method and the principle of your religious instruction i take all my boarders sir to church twice every sunday and they read from the bible twice a week in addition to which we have family prayer night and morning then it is as i feared mr marsh replied the vicar you altogether neglect both for your pupils and yourself sir my nine o'clock sabbath evening lectures in the church together with the tuesday evening's expounding and the thursday evening's church lecture this awful negligence sir it is a terrible tempting of the lord i think mr cartwright replied the poor schoolmaster colouring that i shall be able to explain to your satisfaction my reasons for not attending your evening lectures some of my boys sir are almost grown-up lads i have too hard upon seventeen and i need not tell a gentleman like you that there is a deal of caution necessary at that age to keep the lads out of harm's way i have had the character of sending home very good sober decent lads and this i think has done me more service in getting scholars than even my writing and book-keeping but perhaps you don't know sir and i am sure i don't wish to put myself forward to tell you but the truth is mr cartwright that these late meetings which break up quite in the dark do bring together a great many disorderly people tis an excuse sir for every boy and girl that is in service to get out just when they ought to be at home and altogether it is not quite the sort of thing i approve for my boys but when i tell you mr marsh replied the vicar with much dignity that it is the sort of thing which i approve for all the girls and boys too who live under my ministry i presume that you do not intend to persevere in your very futile and i must call it impious objection if you sir paid the attention that you ought to do to the religious object of the meeting your impure imagination would not be quite so busy about its moral consequences i am sorry to tell you mr marsh that you are splitting on the rock which sends more wrecked and wretched souls to hell than any other peril of this mortal life let it be what it may well sir replied the schoolmaster mildly i must make up my account between god and my own conscience and trust to his mercy to overlook my deficiencies overlook your deficiencies poor deluded man do you really hope that the lord will pardon the clinging to works and neglecting to hear his word do you really doubt that satan stands ready at the door to seize your soul and bear it in his poisoned claws to everlasting torture 
do you really doubt this mr marsh indeed i do sir this is terrible cried the vicar starting up and attempting to stop his ears such blasphemy cannot be listened to without sin i leave you sir and i will shake the dust off this your carpet from my feet but remember this i am your pastor and master appointed to be the minister and guide of all the souls in my parish as for your soul i have no hope left for it it must and it will have its portion among the condemned and will exist only to burn in unspeakable tortures for ever i have spoken and you know your doom but not so is it with the young persons committed to your charge though alas the peril in which they now abide is sore to think of nevertheless i will neither leave them nor forsake them as long as hope is left that a single brand can be snatched from the burning wherefore hear me this day is thursday let me this night see yourself and every boy abiding in your house in the gallery which you occupy in the church or i will set to work to weed the vineyard yea i will cleanse it root and branch from the corruption and abomination of you and your boys poor wretches that you are labouring and striving to prepare for the kingdom of hell but i speak sinfully in joining you and them together and may the lord forgive me as i will strive to atone for it i will clear the vineyard of you but not till i have separated your boys from you they shall be saved by my hand shall they be saved and when i shall have effected this you may perchance while enjoying the leisure that will be your portion remember this day and value at its worth the wisdom which made you brave a minister of the evangelical church have i softened your heart mr marsh will you bring your school to my lecture this evening say yes and you are forgiven no sir i will not was the quiet but firm reply of the good man not another syllable was spoken on either side but well did the vicar of rexhill keep his word public estimation and private good-will appeared for a time to resist all the efforts he could make to persuade the villagers and the farmers round about that mr marsh was a very impious and dangerous man and one whom it was dangerous to trust with their children they knew better they knew that he was honest painstaking intelligent patient and strictly attentive to his religious duties but constant dropping will wear away a stone and constant malevolence kept in constant action by one who was not very scrupulous as to the truth or falsehood of any statement that tended to produce the effect he wished at length began like rust upon steel to cover and hide its true colour and its real brightness one by one his daily scholars fell away from him one by one the neighbouring farmers came with some civil reason for not finding the sending their boys so likely to answer as formerly and one by one his distant patrons found out the same thing so that soon after the vicar's marriage he had the great delight of hearing that mr marsh was sent to prison because he could not pay his rent that his furniture was seized for taxes and his tidy little wife lying ill of a brain fever at a small public-house near the prison with her children starving round her the sort of inward chuckle with which the prosperous vicar received this bit of village gossip from his valet has no letters by which it can be spelt it was the hosanna of a fiend the supplying mr marsh's place in rexhill was one of the things that now demanded mr cartwright's immediate attention and notwithstanding the many delicious temptations to idleness which surrounded him his love of power stronger even than his love of luxury led him to hunt for and to find an individual to fill the situation whose perfect obedience to his will made the dominion of the village school worth counting among the gratifying rights and immunities of his enviable position many of the country families partly from curiosity and partly from respect for the owner of the park let him be who he would paid their visits and sent their invitations with an appearance of consideration very dear to his heart 
particularly when it chanced that this consideration proceeded from persons blessed by bearing a title as to his domestic circle it went on rather better than he expected if not a happy it was a very quiet one helen drooped it is true and looked woefully pale but she seldom complained at all and if she did he heard her not rosalind was very wretched but a host of womanly feelings were at work within her to prevent its being guessed by any even helen thought that she had a wondrous portion of philosophy so speedily to forget poor charles and so very soon to reconcile herself to the hateful dominion of the usurper who had seized his place but helen knew not how she passed the hours when no eye saw and no ear heard her neither did helen know the terrible efforts she had made to redeem the folly and the pride shown in her answer to charles the first and only time that he had ever ventured to disclose his love had helen known this and the manner in which this offer of herself had been refused she would have loved and not blamed the resolution with which the heart-stricken rosalind hid her wound from every eye fanny was gloomy silent and abstracted but mr cartwright only thought that the poor girl having been passionately in love with him was suffering a few natural pangs while teaching herself to consider him as her father but all this was so natural so inevitable indeed that he permitted it not to trouble him and in truth he was so accustomed in the course of his ministry to win young ladies and sometimes old ones too from the ordinary ways of this wicked world to his own particular path of righteousness by means of a little propitiatory love-making that the moans and groans which usually terminated this part of the process towards perfect holiness among the ladies had become to him a matter of great indifference notwithstanding his long practice in the study of the female heart however he did not quite interpret that of fanny mowbray rightly he knew nothing of the depth and reality of fanatic enthusiasm into which he had plunged her young mind nor could he guess how that pure but now fettered spirit would labour and struggle to reach some vantage-ground of assurance on which to rest itself and thence offer its unmixed adoration to the throne of grace he had no idea how constantly fanny was thinking of heaven when he was talking of it of henrietta he never thought much she had given him some trouble and he had used somewhat violent measures to bring her into such outward training as might not violently shock his adherents and disciples but all this was now settled much to his satisfaction she combed her hair quite straight never wore pink ribbons and sat in church exactly as many hours as he commanded mr jacob was as usual his joy and his pride and nothing he could do or say suffered to raise a doubt in the mind of his admiring father of his being the most talented young man in europe that jacob was not yet quite a saint he was ready to allow but so prodigiously brilliant an intellect could not be expected to fold its wings and settle itself at once in the temperate beatitude of saintship he would come to it in time it offered such inestimable advantages both in this world and the next that jacob who had even now no objection to an easy chair would be sure to discover the advantages of the calling the wife of his bosom was really everything he could wish a wife to be she seemed to forget that there could be any other use for her ample revenue than that of ministering to his convenience and so complete was the devotion with which she seemed to lay herself and all that was hers at his feet that no shadowy doubts or fears tormented him respecting that now first object of his life the making her will but though thus assured of becoming her heir whenever it should please heaven to recall her he took care to omit nothing to render assurance doubly sure not a caress not a look not a tender word but had this for its object and when his dearest life repaid him with a smile and his loveliest clara rewarded him with a kiss he saw in his mind's eye visions of exquisite engrossings forming themselves day by day more clearly into all my estates real and personal to my beloved husband thus beyond contradiction everything seemed to prosper with him 
and few perhaps of those who gratified his vanity by becoming his guests guessed how many aching hearts sat around his daily banquet End of chapter four